chapter 16. John chapter 16. And, and uh, I want us to uh, look at these uh, first four verses here of this chapter. We'll read verses 1 through 6, but our text primarily will be verses 1 through 4. John chapter 16. Please follow along as I read. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you. That when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. These things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together tonight. Father, I pray that You would help us understand what it means to live as a Christian in a world that hates Christ. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be properly prepared mentally, spiritually. Father, so that when the time come, Father, we would not be offended. Father, I pray that You would help each parent here. Father, to properly disciple their children so that when their time come, they should not be offended. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would live to please You, seeking Your favor, seeking to love You with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. Father, may we reserve no, no admiration and no desire to be loved by this world, but You and You only. Father, I pray that You'd help us. Spirit of God, I pray that You would fill me and use me in this hour. Father, we so desperately need Your Word. Father, I think about these young people. And Father, the, 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 the way, the state of our country as I imagine it to be in another generation. Father, I pray that You would strengthen each one of us. Father, may we be faithful till that day You call us home. How we love You. How we thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, imagine yourself being one of Christ's disciples there in the garden or on the way to the garden as Jesus says to you. You're hearing these words directly from Him. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Think about hearing those words. You know, and, and you know that those words are being spoken directly to you. You see, this isn't a good marketing message for the gospel. You know, Jesus isn't giving his disciples the final rundown on the that 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 slick package so they can go out and and uh, they can see the gospel spread to the uttermost part of the earth. You see, in our culture, the, the marketing you know you advertise all the benefits and 
you know, any precautions, any disclaimers that goes in the fine print. Uh, uh, they have to they have to dig for that sort of information. See, but uh, see, Jesus is warning his disciples. He is preparing them for what lie ahead so that, as Jesus said, that they should not be offended. See, I want to remind us that Jesus has already told his disciples here in the context of the, these last few minutes with his disciples before his arrest and trial that he is going. He's going to his father's house and he is preparing for them a place. And one day he's going to return for them so they can be with him forever. And, and now Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what's going to take place between now and then. And, you know, I, I want to take just a moment and, and, uh, and talk to the kids. Kids, imagine, imagine we were going to go on a trip and I invited you to come with and, and, uh, and we were going to go to the, the most incredible place ever. You know, better than, than anything that you could ever imagine. I mean, take anything that you can imagine and put all of it together and, you know, it's even, even better than that. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and then the journey that, uh, that to get there, it's going to be, we're going to have a blast. And, and, uh, you know, the, it's going to be a great trip and so easy, super fun on the trip, meet lots of, lots of friendly people. And, and, uh, the weather's going to be great. It's just going to be fun, 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 fun. And then we start out on the trip and immediately the problems start. You know, the vehicle breaks down. The weather's horrible. You know, the, 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 the people we meet aren't friendly. In fact, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're rather rude and cruel. You know, the road is difficult. You, you know, why would you want to keep going? You know, if, it, it, you know, would you want to keep going? You know, probably not. If I, if I deceived you, if I lied to you about the journey, then I'm probably lying to you about the destination. You know, Jesus has told his disciples that what awaits them is heaven. And yet Jesus reminds his disciples that the journey there, the time that uh, that they have on this earth between now and the time that he comes and and they would they, they would be killed before he would return for his disciples. That it's going to be with persecution. Now, Jesus has been is being gut level honest with his disciples and he has been from the beginning. You know, Jesus says, I, I didn't share all of this with you from the beginning because I was, I, I was still with you. He, he mentions that, but, but any false assumptions as to what following Christ was all about, that was, that, that was read into it on the part of the follower. That was not because of misleading promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus has been saying all along, uh, similar statements to Luke chapter 9. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You know, Jesus has said that over and over again. And, and now that Jesus is going away, He has to tell them everything. He has to fully prepare them for the persecution that, they, that they're going to face. The fiery trials, the fierce opposition... From a world that hates Christ. You know, he, he has to prepare them so they won't think it's strange when the fiery trials come upon them. They, they won't think it's strange when the persecution comes. 
And Jesus begins giving very specific examples. In the last chapter, he is he has just said that the world will hate them, but but he's gonna he, he's gonna give them specific examples. He tells them, he warns them here in verse two. They they shall put you out of the synagogues. Now, the word in Greek is your unsynagogue. They will unsynagogue you, and uh, and that that is. They'll no longer consider you a part of them. You're going to be disowned. You're going to be disbanded. It, 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 uh, you would no longer retain the rights of being a Jew. And, and uh, as you were no longer allowed to worship with them. And we see that so much of the persecution that the, that the early church faced was indeed at the hands of the Jews. Jesus is warning them where this persecution is going to come from. The religious leaders, the, the, the Jewish elite, they, they, yes, some of them believed, even many believed, but by and large, the majority did not believe and they continued to persecute the early church. Paul, on his missionary journey, recounts again and again how the, the fiercest opposition that he would face in any city was not from the pagans, not from the Romans, not not even from the the, uh, the 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 powers that be. It would be from the Jews as they would persecute him. In in Lystra, the Bible says that he was he was stoned and and uh, and 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 uh, left for dead. The religious leaders, but uh, the secular authorities also persecuted the the early early Christians. In Acts chapter twelve, we're reminded that it was Herod. That uh, the Bible says, stretch forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You see, this is all the persecution that Jesus was warning his disciples of. They shall, look again at verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Service. You know, the word service here is, is the same word some, some, uh, sometimes elsewhere translated as worship. Those that killed Christians would do so believing they were worshiping God. An act of worship. You know, they, an offering that they would offer to God the life, the, 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 the blood of a believer. They believed that they were doing God's will by killing Christians and and, uh, and of course, the Bible recounts for us so many examples, even in the book of Acts, uh, of this, this persecution and the animosity. And, uh, and, and the, the Jews throughout history have, wherever they, they, they were able, have persecuted Christians. Verse 3, look at John 16, verse 3. It says, and these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. See, Jesus here is speaking of the certainty. This isn't a possibility. These things will they do. No uncertain terms. You know, he speaks with the same certainty that Paul writes of in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he writes to Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, do you know it? Can you say it? Shall suffer persecution. Shall suffer See, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They shall suffer. And Jesus is preparing His disciples ahead of time. What to expect. You see, and I want to remind us that in knowing this and understanding this, this is not 
going to be an offense. This is not going to cause the disciples to stumble or to fall away. No, instead, what this is going to do is confirm their faith. You know, they're going to, as Jesus said in in, uh, verse 4, but these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. You see, this is going to prove that once again, the words of Christ are true as we face persecution. And when the trial comes, no, this is what Jesus said. This is how it's supposed to happen. And it strengthens our faith instead of becoming an obstacle or a stumbling block. See, but Jesus tells them this not to make them fear. You know, Jesus says, uh, you, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm these things that I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. I'm, he's, he's going on, I'm telling you this now, but he's not telling his disciples this so that we'll be afraid. Now, I'll be honest with you, you know, if if uh, you ever had a, 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 a copy of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's just just a little bit intimidating to read. You know, to read of of their sacrifice and and we think that, you know, if I read that, that's going to shake my faith, that's going to cause some uncertainty, that's going to cause us cause us to fear. But Jesus is not telling us about these persecutions. He's not warning his disciples to cause us to fear, because I want to remind you that the spirit of fear is not from God. Second Timothy one seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of, do you know what, can you say it with me? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, I want to remind you, any temptation to fear is not from God. It is from the adversary. It's one of those fiery darts. And, and even as Jesus is speaking these words, any, any thought that would cause fear is a fiery dart from the adversary. And, and, uh, and we need to remember that. And as we learn of the persecution and the price paid, that, 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 that fear is not from God. And it is the adversary that is trying to cause us to fall away. I want to give, I want to take just a few moments in, in the message tonight and give an account of the early history of the church. This isn't to cause us to fear. Again, this fear is, this spirit of fear is not from God. It's to prepare us. It's to remind us that that the fiery trials that that uh, that Christians face, even in 2024, around the world, and and even here in the United States of America, is not some strange thing that happened. We've been warned. We've been prepared for persecution. Before we turn there, I want us to look at Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one. Paul writes to these believers in Corinth. He writes, verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, 
so shall ye be also of the consolation. Now, I want us to consider for just a moment, we like consolation. We like to be comforted. We like to be reassured. We, we like to be reminded how we as Christians are joint heirs with Jesus Christ and, and uh, all the glories and all the splendor that await us in heaven. And well, we love to hear about that. And, and well, we should. Our hope is heaven. But Paul here directly ties blessing and consolation with suffering and persecution. Now, I want to remind us tonight that any any brand of Christianity that would teach one without the other is not biblical Christianity. It's only in America where, where, where we've experienced several centuries of prosperity and religious freedom that this kind of Christianity that that uh, that claims to be uh, this this common experience that that you're going to possess health and wealth and physical prosperity and blessing apart from persecution and suffering. Listen, I want to remind you, I want to remind all of us there is no crown without a cross. The, the, the prosperity gospel is a gospel of glory, and and uh, this and that gospel of glory is found fertile soil here in the United States of America, in a land where we have enjoyed a, a religious freedom that truly has been unknown in the history of mankind. It's been both a blessing and a curse. We've seen biblical Christianity prosper, and we've seen the message of the gospel as 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 thousands, tens of thousands of men and women have answered the call and taken the gospel around the world. We've also seen all all sorts of apostasy and heresy and false gospels spring up. And we've also seen those exported around the world. See, but Jesus here is warning us that we will suffer for his name's sake. And if we're not prepared to suffer for his name's sake, that that's not biblical Christianity. It might be the American religion. But it's not biblical Christianity. We don't have to read very far into the first century church to find that persecution begin. In Acts chapter 4, as Peter and John are imprisoned and, and for, for, for uh, uh, preaching and, and, and uh, for performing miracles. And, and again, uh, they're, they're imprisoned. And, and though even though freed by an angel in Acts chapter 5, they're arrested again and they're beaten. And they get into Acts chapter 6 and 7 and, and uh, Stephen is arrested and Stephen is stoned. And, and the stoning of Stephen is followed by a major persecution of the Christians there in Jerusalem. The Pharisee, of course, that we know as Saul of Tarsus, Threw many Christians into prison. He stood by while Stephen was being stoned, and he became a Christian in Acts chapter nine. And and uh, he reports that the Jews of Damascus tried to kill him. Another attempt on his life by the Grecians in Acts chapter nine, and and uh, and all throughout that first century church again and again and again we see that persecution we see the fulfillment of Jesus's words as he says yea they shall put you out of the synagogues yea the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service see persecution has not always been at the hands of the Jewish people persecution at the hands of Rome was even greater 
The New Testament records several times that Paul was arrested and imprisoned by the Roman authorities. And, uh, and uh, Christian tradition tells us that he was executed in Rome. Christian tradition also tells us that Peter was executed in Rome. In A.D. 64, the great fire broke out in Rome and destroyed vast portions of the city. The Roman emperor at the time was Nero, and, he, and it was widely suspected that he had set the fire. And in order to throw the, uh, the, the attention in, uh, from, uh, from him, he fastened that guilt on a growing class of peoples that the Romans hated, the Christians. The forms of execution used by Nero included systematic murder, crucifixion, feeding Christians to the lions. Their death was made a sport, wrap Christians in hides of wild beasts and throw them to the dogs so the dogs could tear them in pieces. They nailed them to crosses. They used, they, they set them on fire to use them as torches at night. And, and uh, Nero was so cruel. So incredibly cruel in his persecution of Christians that the Christians that were alive then thought, believed that he was the Antichrist. See, Christianity was considered a threat because Christianity claimed to be the only one, the only true faith. It was making converts. People were turning from uh, their paganism and, and every sect. It, it was the Greeks were coming to the gospel. The Romans were coming to the gospel. And it was threatening the very existence of the state religion. It, you know, they, the, these early Christians were conscientious and, and they refused to pay honor to the emperor. And take any part of idolatrous ceremonies at public festivals. These Christians would meet on the Lord's Day and meet in their homes during the week. They would get together and break bread together. And the Romans didn't understand that and made all sorts of wild accusations against them. They suspected that they were meeting together to conspire against them. That Romans were polytheistic. These Christians refused to acknowledge the, the plethora of Roman gods. And they actually called these Christians atheists. They, 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 gave, they, gave, they readily gave credence to slanderous rumors that Christian meetings uh, that were taking place. And, and in these meetings were going on crimes of incest and cannibalism. The people believed these things. And as the calamities would fall upon Rome, as, as uh, they believed punishment from the gods, they believed the gods were angry because the Christians would not worship them. In North Africa, there arose a proverb, if God does not send rain, lay it to the Christians. Every flood, every pestilence, every drought, people would cry out away with these atheists and, and mobs by, by mid-second century, mobs of people incited and regularly would drag Christians out of their homes to throw stones at them. The Roman Emperor Domitian reigned between AD 81 and 96. He called himself the Lord God. He treated Christianity as a crime against the state and condemned Christians to death with the charge of atheism. He had their property confiscated. Domitians, the emperor who banished John to Patmos and also considered responsible for the martyrdom of Andrew and Mark and Onesimus. The next emperor, Trajan, under him was Pliny. Pliny the Elder, he called Christianity depraved and an immoderate super, uh, superstition. And uh, he... 
in spite of this, it was constantly, according to what they wrote, spreading from people to, from every age, rank and sex, so that the temples were being forsaken. And to stop it, Pliny condemned Christians as he writes that he, he wrote that he would even apply the rack to young women. In AD 107, a man named Simeon, 120 years old, a bishop of Jerusalem, was crucified. In AD 10, uh, 110, Bishop Ignatius of Antioch was condemned to death, thrown before the wild beasts at the Colosseum. And yet, in spite of this, the gospel continued to spread. The next emperor, Hadrian, he was a scholar, an artist. He opposed Judaism and Christianity, and he wanted to insult both, and he erected temples to Jupiter and Venus where the site of the temple had been and the site of the crucifixion. In AD 155, Polycarp, who was a personal disciple and friend of the Apostle John, he was an elder at the church of Smyrna, was martyred at the age of 86. Amidst the flames, he praised God, having been chosen worthy to die in this way. You know, the Romans thought that with Polycarp's death, they finally took care of Christianity because the last witness of the disciples was now extinguished. Hmm. Little did they know. The next emperor was Marcus Aurelius. He was a philosopher, well-educated and amiable for the most part, and dismissed Christianity, but on an educational level. He considered it to be absurd, a fanatical superstition, and he attacked Christianity with the pen. But as his empire was devastated with natural disasters, floods, earthquakes, the insurrections from Ethiopia to Africa, he needed someone to blame it on. And this gave rise to persecution. The government, in which the government and the people united against the children of God. In 166, Justin, known in history as Justin Martyr, was killed. In 177, churches in South France underwent severe trials. Unbelieving slaves were tortured to, to bring out coerced accusations against their Christian masters. They were, they, they were, they were forced to testify lies that they'd been raped and and uh, that their masters practiced incest and cannibalism in their homes. And this torture was used to imprison and execute Christians. Clement of Alexandria wrote of these times, many martyrs daily are daily burned, confined or beheaded before our eyes. And yet these believers, refreshed by God's grace to face these trials, displayed faith and steadfastness, believing that nothing, Nothing could separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Beginning of the third century, Severus, another emperor, violently persecuted Christians in Egypt and North Africa. Alexandria, in Alexandria, Leonidas was beheaded. A young woman by the name of Potamania was slowly burned with her mother in a, in a pot of boiling pitch. One of the executioners who witnessed this, a man by the name of Bosalides, sympathized with them. He became a Christian after their death, and he himself was also beheaded. Perpetua, a young woman, a daughter of noble birth, at, at that time a mother, the mother of an infant, loved the Lord Jesus Christ more than father or mother, more than son or even infant daughter, and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
She was cast to the wild beast at public festival. Persecution didn't end with Severus or even with his successors. It continued to execute Christian leaders and pastors. And, and there was Scipion of Carthage, a nobleman, well, a well-known leader, but called to be a faithful pastor. He received the death sentence to which he went quietly and confidently. The last and most violent persecution of the Christians was the emperor Diocletian. The first 20 years of Diocletian's reign, he actually respected Christians. His own wife, his daughter, many of his servants, his court officers were Christians. But later in his, in his, in his time, as, in his reign, his son-in-law, Galerius, convinced him to authorize the greatest persecution on the church in history to that time. In AD 303, Diocletian issued three rapid edicts one after the other, that included Christian churches would be burned and destroyed, that all copies of the Bible would be burned, that Christians were going to be deprived of their civil rights, and that, without exception, they were to sacrifice to the Roman gods under threat of death. The historian Eusebius writes, he was a witness to all of this, he writes how houses of prayer were flattened to the ground. Scriptures were burned in the marketplaces. Pastors were hunted and tortured torn to pieces in the amphitheaters for sport. All the time, Christians sang hymns and praised God, giving God glory even to their very last breath. At the same time, there were also those who fell away. You know, Jesus spoke of that sword in His parable of the sower, the stony soil that, that uh, when it yet the seed would have no root in Himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the Word, by and by, he is offended. See, Jesus has warned us of this persecution so that we should not be offended. And these so-called disciples who were a part of the church that would not face, uh, that turned in the face of persecution, they, 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 they would go into their, their brothers and sisters in Christ's uh, homes, confiscating Bibles and bringing them to the marketplace to show their loyalty. Hey, we're with you. They, they, they these, these superficial Christians, they, they, they had joined the church during that time of, of peace and prosperity that led up to that final persecution. And now, in the moment of persecution, these false professors break like the chaff from the wheat. They gladly offer incense to the Roman gods. They willingly pronounce false witness against their brothers. They give up their Scriptures, their Bibles, and, and, and Tertullian relates the whole congregation, whole congregations from pastor all the way down to, would resort to bribes to avert the persecution. And, and we see the same thing happening in the face of persecution today. Those who will run to this world and pledge their allegiance to the zeitgeist that will wag their finger at true Bible-believing Christians and turn on them. You see, but, but, but though some of them were traitors, the overwhelming witness of the church remained steadfast. Persecution raged. The zeal and fidelity of Christians increased. To the cruel hatred they faced, the church returned no violence, no carnal resistance, only grace in the face of suffering. A moral heroism of which many unbelievers took notice. It was this grace they exhibited that proved the church to be an example of Christ who submitted Himself willingly to death on the cross for the sins of the world. Men and women of all classes, noble senators, learned bishops, 
illiterate, poor slaves, loving mothers, young women, pastors, innocent children, they all approached their torturers as Christ did with humble resignation, meekness, calm, cheerful faith, and triumphant hope and forgiving charity. You know, these are the ones spoken of in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony, they loved not their lives even unto the death. You know, Tertullian wrote as he taunted the heathen governors, go on, go on, rack, torture, grind us to powder. Our numbers increase in the proportion as you mow us down. The blood of the Christian is the harvest seed. Your very obstinacy as a teacher for who is not incited by the contemplation of it to inquire why you do this and who after, after having joined us does not long to suffer with us. Persecution didn't end with Rome. Of course, time doesn't uh, permit me to give full history of the suffering of Christians through the centuries and in, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in throughout the centuries in Japan and in China and Egypt and and of course, uh, uh, at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. And, and the persecution continues today in North Korea and China and India and throughout the Middle East and Nigeria. And Jesus, Jesus told us, he, he said, he, he said, these things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Just four quick points. I'm sorry, five quick points I want to make uh, an application tonight and we'll be done. Number one, persecution really is the norm for the Christian. Persecution really is the norm for the Christian. You see, this is something that we must recover. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not some, all, all. You know, in, in a recent article I read from apostasy, I mean Christianity Today, um, an article that, that this, this is labeled as fear-mongering. You know, is Jesus trying to, uh, to the, the, the warnings of opposition and persecution and, and sharing stories of persecution, you know, is, is, is Jesus trying to foster an us-against-them mentality? See, Jesus is just Jesus is 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 just stating a reality that already exists. Jesus says the world hates me, and as he's speaking those words, they are on their way to arrest him, to 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 take him, to stand mock trial, and and to crucify him. The world hates Christ, and the world hates anyone that dares stand with Christ. And listen, my friend, that is not fear mongering. You know, just just because Christianity has enjoyed a, 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 a place of acceptance or, or at least toleration in our country, listen, around the world, the name of Christ is hated and he is persecuted and, and, and Christians are slain and, and those that kill them, they don't know Christ, they don't know God and they think they're doing God's service. See, more Christians died in the last century than all the preceding centuries combined. 
You know, they, in Jesus' day, the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the Romans, they, they, could bar- they, they could barely stand each other. They, they couldn't agree on anything, but when it came to hating Christ, when it came to persecuting Him, when it came to, to, uh, to, 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 to killing Him, they were glad to come together and work to a common end. You know, when we make Christianity out to be easy, when we, when we make Christianity out to be easy to, uh, to our children, what's going to happen when they face persecution? They're going to crack. They're, they're going to fall away. They're going to be, as Jesus warned us about, they're going to be offended. So, this persecution really is the norm. Let me say this secondly. You and I must follow Christ's pattern when we witness. But we don't tell them it's going to be easy. We, 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 don't, we, we warn them that it is a life of bearing a cross. You see, one Bible scholar said this, to count the cost is one of the first duties that ought to be pressed on Christians in every age. No kindness to young beginners to paint the service of Christ in false colors, to keep them back from that old truth through much tribulation we shall enter the kingdom of God. By prophesying smooth things, by we may easily fill the ranks of Christ's army with professing soldiers, but they're just soldiers like the stony ground hearers in time of tribulation will fall away. They will turn back in the day of battle. You know, you know, to invite people, oh, come to church, you're going to have a, a great time. Is following Christ a great time? Is that what Jesus is telling his disciples? You know, you know how about this? Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my church, but I'm not sure you're tough enough for it. I'm not sure you can handle it. You know, forget persecution. You know, people in America, they can't even handle a straight dose of Christianity. See, we must follow Christ's pattern. We willingly endure suffering because He first loved us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, listen, my friend, we, 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 we understand His love for us and His willingness to suffer and to give His life. And we love Him in return. We love Him because He first loved us. See, this persecution is what separates the true and false believers. Persecution, and I quote, acts like a great winnowing fan that drives the chaff away from the floor on which the pure grain is housed. And to the church, it is like the refiner's fire. It separates the dross. The faithless, who are among the faithful found, soon apostatize, while the sterling gold and silver, the genuine lovers of Christ, are purged and purified by the ordeal through which they are constrained to pass. We willingly suffer because He loved us. You know, at some point, you'll falter and fail Christ and do something that denies Him in this world. You know, maybe with complicit silence, maybe even consent. You know, somebody's 
making fun of Christians. Someone uses his name in vain, and and uh, and 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 you don't speak up in defense. A group of people are endorsing something like same-sex marriage, and you don't speak up. Someone will imply that all good people go to heaven, and you don't you don't step up and say, you know, John fourteen six, that no man cometh unto the Father but by me, and and you'll feel horrible about it. You'll feel horrible. You wounded your conscience, and and yet in that in that moment, the devil's going to come and remind you how worthless you are. He's going to get you to think that you've blown it. There's no recovery. You you, you can't ever get back. And and yet, when after Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior lovingly restored Peter, and Peter restored. Even with greater power and love, serve Christ faithfully until His death. Let me say this lastly. You will relish any suffering you endure for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We got trivia questions about that at the beginning of the service. The Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. I still hear a few pages rustling. All right, let's read it together. Let's read verse 10 down through verse 12. Ready? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus promised that those who are persecuted for His name's sake would be blessed. Think about that word blessing for just a minute. You know, we, we, we imagine that you know, if God's in something, it's smooth sailing. You know, we judge God's favor by circumstances and, and, and too often we think of God's blessings in physical or, or, or material terms. And, and uh, you know, we, we think of it as, you know, God's blessing of the promotion at work or, or uh, you, you know, finally getting the old clunker fixed or, or, or swapping it out for a more reliable vehicle or, or you know, some kind of, 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 of tangible material possession. And, and, and yet... The Bible tells us that our blessedness, we are blessed. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You see, this, this persecution is a blessing. Blessing. You know, again, it's not something that we, we, we look forward to with anticipation or excitement, but I want to remind you that when you get on the other side of it, you're going to relish it. You're going to thank God for it. 
You'll be oh so glad that it happened. You'll count that 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 persecution among the greatest treasures that you possess. And and if you could go, somehow go back and change things or or wish it away, you wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Why? Because Jesus said, "Blessed, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake." See, Jesus is preparing His disciples and preparing us. For the opposition that we're going to face. I want to ask you. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? You know I think about myself. And, 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 and my children. Am I preparing them? Am I discipling them? To stand with Christ at all costs. Well, may God help us. May God help us. To take up our cross daily. And follow Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.